Hi, and welcome to Comchurch Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray that it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged, and uplifted by the talk that you're about to hear. Okay, let's just pray. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, we just thank you for this time and your presence, and we just thank you, Father God that you want to speak to our hearts now. And Jesus, I just pray, Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you would be in this place, Father God. And I just pray that you'll give us ears to hear. And Jesus, I just really pray that right now you would open our hearts, open our ears, that we just put down any other distraction and that, Father God, we'll really be able to hear from your voice this morning. We'll be able to hear from you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andy, for that. So today, I'm going to do a 10-week Bible series in about 30 minutes. So are you ready? (laughs) So I was going to do a little handout. I'm going to be speaking on Peter, but it's really easy, guys. Basically, and you'll see how I did all my prep, you go to BibleGateway.com, and you put in the little search, Peter, and it will bring you up a 100 scriptures, and take your pick, wade your way through all of those So any references I use, I'm going to just go very quickly and spout through some things. And if you think I'm lying, I promise I'm not, but if you think I am, please go and Google it, go and find it, and you can see what I'm talking about. So I'm just going to want to give you a quick overview of Peter, just in case you've never heard of this guy in the Bible before, or even if you have, I just think it's good just to put it all together, because sometimes we can preach on one part of a character in the Bible, and we kind of miss how it all syncs together. So Peter and his brother Andrew were fishermen, and they were already expectant for a Messiah. So they had um, already been following John the Baptist. They knew John the Baptist. They were kind of already on a lookout for a Messiah. And in that day, they were kind of looking for someone to overthrow the Roman rule. They were ready for a Messiah to come. And one day they're, they're fishing and, and Jesus comes up to them at the shore. And um, they've just come in from a night's fishing, early morning fishing. And um, Jesus comes to them and says, let's go out. Let's take the boat out again. And we're going to fish. And they're just like, silly Jesus, fish don't get caught in the day. They get caught in the early morning. But they're like, okay, this dude's telling us to go. Let's go back in the boat and out they go. And again, you might know the story, but they come back and their nets are so full of fish that they are fit to bursting. You could preach a whole sermon just there, but we're going to move on. So that was one really early um, miracle that Peter saw that Jesus had performed. And then he asked them to become disciples. So Peter and his brother were one of the first chosen, okay? So just remember that they were important. They were some of the first that Jesus wanted to come and join them. And then later on, um, yeah, so Peter was one of the first chosen. So then we read in the Gospels, and it's full of, Peter says, Peter replied, Peter exclaimed, Peter declared. It's Peter, 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 all the way through. Now, Mark is probably, scholars reckon, Peter relaying the stories of what happened to Mark, and that's where, uh, that's why there's a lot of Peter in Mark in one of the, the first Gospels in the chapters in the New Testament, but also throughout all the others. There's lots of Peter said, Peter did. So this is where the first thing that he kind of reminds me 
of myself because I've realised um, even, you know, sort of at school and even recently sort of as an adult learner, I'm quite vocal and um, I'm quite like Sarah declared, Sarah said, Sarah asked, Sarah challenged. I'm quite mouthy. I like to make my opinion known if I have one and if there's a pair of ears, they'll probably get to hear it. And um, so I kind of affiliate with Peter a little bit there that he's, he's the one there. He's like, yep, let me, let me have my 10 pence worth. So he was also present at some really awesome uh, things that happened in the New Testament that not all of the other disciples were. So Peter was at the Mount of Transfiguration. Again, Google, have, it, have a look at it. And um, there, it was amazing. So he actually saw, he went with Jesus up a mountain and he saw Jesus' whole face transform into this big beam of light. And then they saw Elijah and Moses And again, he recognised them straight away. So Peter was on high alert. He knew who Moses and Elijah were. And he's super enthusiastic. And he's like, Jesus, let's build a shelter. And Moses can have one. And Elijah can have one. And you can have one, Jesus. And it'll be really great. And people can come up and visit it. And we'll sell tickets. And we'll give popcorn. And we'll, like, he reminds me a little bit of Ollie there. It's like, really good creative ideas. Let's get the people in. And Jesus was like, oh, dear. No, Peter. I think he was very enthusiastic even though maybe a little misguided still at this point here. But he heard with his own ears the voice of God. Now, throughout the entire Bible, there aren't many people that heard the actual audible voice of God. But Peter was one of those. And he hears God's voice say, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. So I just want you to remember that he's heard God's own voice declare that. He saw Jesus walk in water, Matthew 14, 22. And then in the midst of the storm, he asked Jesus, okay, if it's really you, Lord, call to me and I'll come out to you. Now, I know he sinks, but come on, guys, he gets out of the boat. The disciples were freaking out inside the boat because they thought they were going to die. Peter got out of the boat. He had that much faith in Jesus that he got out on the water and he had to go. Yeah, he sunk. Yeah, when he took his eyes off Jesus, he fell. But come on, he got out of the boat. So I think it just shows he's not afraid to give it a go. He wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't a scared person. He was. You know, he was pretty secure. And then now later we see Jesus asked the people who 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 are the saying? Who's the man on the street? What are they saying about me? Jesus asked, and and then he asked the disciples, "Who do you say I am?" And again, it's Peter that pipes up with his answer. So let's read together Matthew 16, 13 to 19. And it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. How awesome is that? 
Peter must have felt pretty great after that. Not only did he answer with an A star star, or was it a level nine answer, like he got top of the class answer. Jesus then prophesies over him what he's, he calls him, he speaks over him. I mean, how excited we get like growing up in church and someone calls you out and you get prophesied over. It's, it's, it's exciting. You feel that, you know, God's eyes are turned towards you. Here, Jesus himself is prophesying over Peter. So he's got to feel, one, I got the question right. Yes. And two, Jesus then calls him. He like speaks this amazing thing. I've given you the keys to the kingdom. That's massive. Again, whole nother Bible study about the keys of the kingdom. But that's huge. And that's given to Peter. So he's got to be feeling pretty good about himself. And then Many disciples at some point were leaving Jesus because he fed, we heard he fed the 5,000, he fed the 4,000, and then he started talking about eating flesh and eating blood. And they're like, all right, Jesus, that's a bit weird. I'm not down with this anymore. And loads of the disciples leave him. They, they go. And I love this. So Jesus, like, rather than like some pastors are all like, oh, no, they don't like my teaching, so maybe we should be a bit more seeker-sensitive, or maybe we should increase our donuts, or maybe we should do something. Jesus just goes, all right then, what are you doing? Are you going to stay or are you going to go to? He's, he's almost challenging them to leave him. He doesn't care. He's like, this is my teaching. Are you going to stay or are you going to go? But Peter replies, well, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter has got that deep in his spirit. He knows that Jesus has the words of eternal life. He has the words you know, from his father. He says, we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So his loyalty, his devotion, it's not in question. But Peter still didn't get it. So we read later, he tells Jesus he simply won't let him die. Now we know Jesus had to go to the cross. We know that was part of Jesus fulfilling prophecy for himself. We know that to save our sins, Jesus had to go to the cross. But Peter was like, no, I'm not letting you die. I'm not going to let you go. To which we know Jesus replied to him, get behind me, Satan. You know, he had to rebuke him, but Jesus was so fervent. He was looking for a Messiah. He was looking for that ruler, the one that was going to overthrow the kingdom of Rome. That's where Peter was thinking. He was thinking, I'm following the top guy. I'm following someone more important than Caesar. But Peter still hadn't got it that that's not how Jesus was going to overcome. Peter still hadn't quite, quite got there. And then later in John 13, he won't let Jesus wash his feet. He's like, Jesus, no, you can't wash my feet. And again, let's put this into context. So around those times, they were wearing their lovely sandals without socks. They were wearing their sandals and they shared the road with what? Donkeys and horses and cattle and poop. And that's what they walked through and that's what they walked in. So when they came to someone's house, it was usually the lowest servant probably the newest and the youngest and the most inferior, the lowest servant would come and wash the guests' feet because they were gross. I think, Suze, anyone that does a pedicure, I think that's disgusting. And that's with clean feet. I just think, how can you touch people's feet? But these were dirty, disgusting, road-trodden feet. And Jesus bent down to take the lowest form of the lowest servant in the house to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter's like, no, I won't let you wash my feet. And Jesus rebukes him and says, you've got to. You've got to let me wash your feet. Then I love this. And then Peter, in his over-enthusiasm, says, 
well then, Jesus, if you're going to wash my feet, wash my entire body. And I just see Jesus go, Peter, if you've had a shower, your body is clean. You do not need the rest of you washing, just your feet. And he, he's not, it's not just about the cleanliness. He's trying to teach them that they need to be a servant. They need to be a servant of all. Because around them, we know that they've got the Sadducees, they've got the Pharisees, and they use their religious prestige to really harm the people, not to help them. You know, and Peter had seen these great miracles, and he'd been through Jesus' side through all these really important events, and easily could have been inflated. And I think reading Peter and reading how he reacted and how he was, I think he was probably just a hair's breadth away from being a Pharisee. Do you know what? He was, he easily could have gone down that route. Because again, as I said, he thought he was on the, the winning side. He was on the, he was on the, the top side that was going to overthrow. Little did he know how Jesus was actually going to do that. So anyway, yeah, he says, wash my entire body. And later, the disciples are arguing over who's the greatest. And, you know, we know that Peter was not afraid to stand up to Jesus. He was not afraid to challenge Jesus. He was not afraid to question him. He was not afraid. He was not backward in coming forward. Again, I I remind myself, sometimes that reminds myself, um, you know, in RE, I would challenge my RE teacher and I'd be like, that's not what real believers believe. That's just religious teaching. And I would yeah, come across maybe a bit exuberant sometimes, maybe a little bit judgmental, but I knew my Bible. I had a relationship with Jesus. So this is the right way and I'd go for it. So yeah, I'm like, Peter, it's all right. I get it. Anyway, but yeah, so however learned, however much you think you know, Jesus was trying to hammer into them, you must be a servant. You must be the servant of it all. And Yeah, we read in Mark 9, 35, that if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Now, this is really important to remember, a really important part just to tuck away. So now the part we get to is what most of us know about Peter, and that's his denial. So Jesus predicts his death, and he tells the disciples, where I'm going, you can't follow me. But Peter just says straight away to Jesus, why can't I follow you? I'll go anywhere with you. I'm fully committed to you. I will follow you to the ends of the earth. I'll die with you. I'll do anything with you. He's proclaiming all this forth. His gun-ho attitude, his I, 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 I will do this for you, just comes gushing forth. But let's read Matthew 26, 33 to 38 together. Because Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the roaster crows, you will disown me three times. The roaster, the rooster. (laughs) You will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So even though Jesus knew that Peter was going to betray him, even though he knew that he was going to deny him, he still called him at his point of need. At his real most point of need, Peter was still singled out with the other two, with James and John, and said, Come, and keep watch with me and pray with me. 
So let's look at the denial. Matthew 26, 69 to 74. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you were one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Okay, so Peter denies Jesus, but let's just go back a bit. When Jesus was arrested, John's uh, version of events names Peter as the disciple that chopped off the high priest's servant's ear. Okay, so... He's there, Jesus is arrested, there's a whole load of soldiers with a whole load of swords, and he goes after the high priest's servant. Now, that's the high priest's property in those days, the rights of wrongs of slavery aside. Well, there's no rights, the wrongs of slavery aside. He chops off the, high, the property, he damages the property of the high priest, which any one of those soldiers could have probably run him through right there and then, because that was a big deal. He wasn't scared to do that. He would have, I believe Peter would have gone on and taken them all out one by one. But again, Jesus knew he had to get to the cross. Jesus had to get to the cross. So he rebuked Peter and he said, no, this is not the way. This is not what we're doing. He had to tell him off. Okay, now we look at who does he deny to? He denies Jesus to a servant girl. Again, probably at the time, the lowest form of importance. A servant girl. Who cares about what's a servant girl going to do? Okay, so maybe who is it? Is it Pontius Pilate the next time? Or is it one of the governors the next time? Or is it a soldier the next time? It's another servant girl. He denies to another servant girl. And then a random those, those that were gathered around. He denies, that's who he denies Jesus to. Now to me, Peter doesn't smack of a person that's afraid or that's worried about what people think about him. Yet something's changed and something's happened here. And he denies to a servant girl. He denies to one of the least of these. And that I have to wonder, I have to wonder why. Why did he did that? But anyway, for whatever reason, Peter does deny Jesus. And he wept bitterly. He must have felt so ashamed so unworthy, so guilty, so condemned, such a failure. Do you know, have you ever felt like this before? I know I have. You know, sometimes things in life can happen to us, or we can do things, or things happen around us that can make us feel like that way, make us feel like such a failure, make us feel so condemned, make us feel like we, either we've really messed up or life has just really thrown us a curveball and it's really messed us up and we can weep bitterly, you know. And again, I'm a bit graphic, I know, but have you ever wept so hard that you feel like your insides are literally going to come out of your mouth? Have you ever groaned and wept so bitterly and such, with such pain? And that's how I believe Peter felt then. He wept so hard 
He couldn't see how he was ever going to stop crying. And I know I've been there. And a part testimony of ours is about five years ago, something horrendous happened to our family. And I'm really sorry for all the nosy people out there, but I'm not going to tell the testimony because it's actually not all of mine to tell. And one day it will be. But it was something that threw such a curveball to Julian and I, and it was so painful. And there were days where I cried so hard and I thought, God, I can't ever see a way out of this. And we'd just come into a time of being associate pastors and I was like, God, how are we even going to ever run a church? How are we ever going to pastor a church like we do today? I was like, God, I don't even want to go today. I don't even want to see anyone today. I don't even want to get out of bed today. I don't even want to put my foot from under these covers today and wept bitterly. It threw everything I knew. As I said, I have grown up in the church. I was a fervent believer of Jesus Christ. I loved my Bible. I loved, you know, I made tough decisions in my teenage years to follow Christ and not go another way. I'd seen Jesus do amazing things in my life. I knew that he was real. And even at that time, do you know what? As Peter had said, well, where would I go? Because I know you have the words of eternal life. I never blamed God but I found it really hard to function. I didn't blame him. I didn't ever think about leaving him or going away because I said, God, I know you have the words of eternal life and I know that I need you through this. I can't work against you, but God, I don't get it. Everything I thought I knew now counts for nothing. Every bit of training I thought I'd had counts for nothing. Every decision, right choice I'd made counts for nothing. All the good things I think I've put in place counts for nothing. I'm at ground zero. I know nothing. I feel nothing. I am nothing. And this is how I really believe Peter was feeling right now. You know, I was going to be the history maker. Do you remember the Martin Smith song, I'm going to be a history maker? (laughs) And that's what I would sing and that's what I would chant. I was going to change the world and I was going to make it a better place and I was going to proclaim Jesus Christ. Well, around this time, I was like, Jesus, you just need to get me out of this house today. You just need to get me out of this bed today. And as a sideline, there was another person that betrayed Jesus, and that was Judas. And I bet he, well, it says he wept bitterly too. I bet he felt pretty bad too. But the thing is, he took matters into his own hands. And it says he went into a field and he killed himself. He hung himself. And I wonder, had he not done that, would Jesus have reinstated him? Now, there's nothing about me that knows of Jesus that thinks he wouldn't. But Judas took matters into his own hands, and he added a full stop where God only ever intended there to be a pause. And this is a really, it's just a little sideline that I feel like I need to say, is however bad it gets, never put a stop where God is just saying pause. It's never bad enough. It's never hard enough. It's never over enough for you to take things into your own hands and do as Judas did. Because Judas' story ends there. But we know Peter's doesn't. We know there's so much more to Peter. But Judas ended it. So around our time as well, I was asking God, you know, okay, how are we going to lead this church? You know, give me and Julian a word. How, what is our, what is it going to look like? I needed something to cling on to through this time. I needed something to, 
be able to pray and, and sort of, I'm quite an active person. I needed to be doing something and, and I needed something to cling on to. And all I kept getting was feed my sheep. And so I read the story and we're going to read that scripture in a minute if you don't know it. But, you know, Jesus just said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, shepherd my lambs. And I thought, okay. So I journaled that. And this was over a course of, you know, 18 months, a year. I was getting this word, feed my sheep. And I heard different sermons on feeding the sheep, da, 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 da. And I was like, okay, that's all good. So maybe God is just saying, you know, we just, when we take over, we just need to make sure that, you know, the preaching's still good, the worship's still good, there's something for everybody. We've just got to make sure that happens, da, da, da. And then I was, we were doing a series. I think it was the Good or God series by John Bevere. And he just made an off-the-cuff sideline comment that just completely revolutionised my study of this scripture absolutely amazing he just said one random thing and I just thought oh my goodness so let's look at how Jesus reinstates Peter and I really hope I get this across because as I said when I heard this sideline something just dropped into my spirit and it totally changed my relationship with God it totally changed my walk with him and I really pray that I can get that over today So we know that Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And, you know, many say, well, he denied him three times, so he got him back, reinstated him three times, so that cancelled it out. Yeah, maybe, and that's great. But if we look at the original words of love that Jesus uses, it reveals so much more. So if we can have the amplified version of that screen up, that would be amazing. So John 21, 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, oh, so I just want to say, first of all, when, so we know Jesus went to the cross and he died and he was resurrected and he rose again and came from the tomb. And Mary was one of the first people that saw Jesus. And what I love here is it says that he said to Mary, Mary, go and tell the disciples and Peter. So Jesus knew that Peter had taken himself away. He'd removed himself away. Whether he'd gone back to fishing, gone back to his family, he'd removed himself from the other disciples. But Jesus wanted him back. And that's, I love that, that it says that. Go and find and tell the disciples and Peter. So that's what she did. So Peter's back with them. And he says, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Others do with total commitment and devotion. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you with a deep personal affection as for a close friend. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Again, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me with total commitment and devotion? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you with a deep personal affection as for a close friend. Jesus said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me with a deep personal affection for me as for a close friend? Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you really love me with a deep personal affection as for a close friend? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you with a deep personal affection as for a close friend. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So let's look at the footnotes, the B and the C. See there. So John 21, 15, as indicated by the amplifications, Peter uses a different Greek word for, for love, philio or philo, however you want to say it, than Jesus does. 
I call it agape, however that's pronounced. Agape, I will say. In his first two questions to Peter, and then John 21, 17, this time Jesus uses the same word for love as Peter. Now, agape is the highest form of love. It's the total commitment, the total devotion. It's the life-giving. It's the I will die for you. It's the highest form of love. And then philo or filio is the like the friendship love, the love of a brother. You know, you think highly of somebody, but it's, it's, that, it's that commitment and that love, that personal, deep personal affection as a close friend, but it's not that unconditional love. Now, I think before Peter had denied, he would have said, I love you with overwhelming, completely total commitment. I will die for you. I will do all of this. I will do everything. Agape love. He would have declared that out of his mouth. Yet because of what he'd gone through, because of the denial, because of this, he knew that Jesus knew all things. And he knew that he knew he could not say that anymore. He said, I can't commit to agape, but I can commit to total commitment and deep affection. I love you, Jesus. But because of what he'd been through, because of what had happened, he realised and he knew he couldn't commit to that agape. Now, as we read that scripture again, Jesus doesn't try and lift him to agape. He doesn't tell him off. He doesn't try and move him to agape. Jesus comes down the third time and meets him at Philo. Jesus comes and meets us where we are. And I love this because actually what's even more amazing is that once Peter had said, in his own strength, I can only do this, he actually lived the rest of his life, agape. He gave his life He did give his life for Jesus. He did more miracles. He did more amazing things. When you read the rest of Acts, you read Romans, you read 1 Peter, 2 Peter, he actually lived agape. But it took the point where, do you remember what I was saying? Jesus was trying to humble them. He was trying to get them to see that it was not their strength and their fervour that would carry them through. Because when it came to it, for whatever reason, Peter crumbled and he denied. But when he humbled himself and said, Jesus, I can't say agape. Everything I thought I knew is nothing. (laughs) Everything I thought I leaned on is nothing. And then Jesus met him where he was. But it's amazing because then he lived it. He's the man that then writes in his letter, when we humble ourselves, we can cast all our anxieties onto him because he cares for us. Peter knew. Peter's the guy who then saw amazing miracles. He's the guy that saw the blind, you know, the, the, the beggar and lifting up, silver and gold I have none, but this I have, the words of eternal life and get up in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that's, that's the Peter. It's the Peter that on the day of Pentecost preached and thousands got saved. He He was so humbled, but then Jesus lifted him up. And I love that because in our own story, that's what happened to us. When everything that I thought I knew had been taken away, I could only cling to Jesus. And hearing this, I said to Jesus, I know nothing. I have nothing. Anything I thought I could lean on is gone. And actually Jesus in a broken (laughs) 
spirit. And that's where, it's almost where Jesus wants us all. And you know, if you're going through situations or you've been through something and you're just like, God, I don't understand that. I don't get that. You know, if Peter looked back at that denial time, it's never going to be okay. He's never going to be happy that that happened. It's never going to be okay. He's not going to get over that. It's always going to have been a horrible thing that happened and that he did or that happened to him. And that's not the point. You know, Jesus doesn't come and magically make the horrible things better because there are some things that happen in life that will never be okay. But they will change us forever. And it can either be for the better or it can be for the worse. And we have all those promises, don't we, in the Bible that what the enemy meant for harm, God can turn for good. And this is the outworking of these scriptures and this story of Peter that I start seeing is that what the enemy meant for bad, God can turn for good. Because now... When we did take over running the church, when we did take over pastoring the church, it wasn't in our strength anymore. It wasn't in our strength because it had been taken away. But we were like, Jesus, we want to follow you. We want to surrender to you. And now my prayer is that we will do like Peter did. We will do far more and above. And, you know, I encourage you, read Acts. Read the rest of all the amazing things that Peter did. And he, didn't, he still didn't get it all right, but he was there <laughs> But he then he did give the thing that he was declaring with his mouth that he actually couldn't fulfill. When he humbled his mouth and he humbled himself, he did far and above anything that he even imagined. So I hope that's an encouragement to you this morning. I hope that it gives you an appetite to go and study those Bible characters. You know, they're all in there for a reason. We can glean information and hope. And if the musicians want to come back, And we just want to offer some time that maybe you need some ministry time. Maybe you just, maybe you feel like you're at that ground zero. And maybe you're trying in your strength to overcome that yourself. And it's just at the point where we just say, Jesus, I just surrender to you. It hurts like hell. There is nothing now that I can do to shivvy myself out of this. God, I need you to take it. God, I need you to, I can just love you here. And that's what I can promise. Joyce Meyer says, doesn't she, sometimes you have to cling on by your fingernails, but cling on, (laughs) cling on and hold on. And also, if you're writing checks with your mouth that your lifestyle can't cash, (laughs) just, just watch it. Because how many times through the Bible does it say, humble yourself? And maybe that's a warning. It's, it's humble yourself or something will humble you. Not that I believe God sends the bad things, but sometimes he allows things to happen and it will humble us so tremendously. But honestly, church, do I wish that what happened five years ago didn't happen? Absolutely, with every single breath in my body, I wish it didn't happen. But am I glad to see what God has done in my life because of it and in Julian's life because of it? Yes, I am. And am I excited about the testimony that one day will come because of it? Yes, I am. I am ecstatic about because I know there's going to be a testimony because I know there's an enemy. And that's Peter again. There's an enemy that roars around like a lion trying to take us out. But when we humble ourselves and we connect with Jesus 24-7, we connect with the Holy Spirit, that's when we get to live where and go where He's telling us to go. And I just love that. I really hope that's encouraged someone today.
please just then put the idea out of your head what it is. <laughs> don't worry, don't think about it. But just put it to your, apply it to your situations today. Amen. Thanks for listening to Com Church Talks. We'd love to hear from you and you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless.